Chapter Eleven of the Mountain Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. The Mountain Girl by Payne Erskine, in which spring comes to the mountains, and Cassandra tells David about her father. Ere long. Such a spring as David had never dreamed of swept up the mountain, with a charm so surpassing and transcending any imagined beauty that he was filled with a sort of ecstasy. He was constantly out upon the hills, reveling in the lavish bounty of earth and sky, of rushing waters, and all the subtle changes in growing things, as if at last he had been clasped to the heart of nature. He visited the cabins wherever he was called and when there was need for Cassandra's ministrations, he often took her with him. Thus they fell naturally into good camaraderie. Thus also, quite as naturally, Cassandra's speech became more correct and fluent, even while it lost none of its lingering delicacy of intonation. David provided her with books as he had promised himself. Sometimes he brought them down to her, and they read together. Sometimes he left them with her, and she read them by herself eagerly and happily. But so busy was she that she found very little time to be with him. Not only did all the work of the household fall on her, but the weaving, which her mother had done heretofore, and the care of animals, which had been done by Frail. The life she had hoped to lead, and the good she had longed to do when she left home for school, encouraged by the bishop and his wife, she now resolutely put away from her, determined to lead in the best way the life that she knew must henceforth be hers. She hoped, at least, she might be able to bring the home place back to what it used to be in her grandfather Caswell's time, and to this end she labored patiently, albeit sadly. David was ever aware of a barrier past which he might never step, no matter how merry or how intimate they might seem to be and always about her a silent air of waiting, which deterred him in his efforts to draw her into more confidential relations. Yet, as the days passed, he became more interested in her, influenced by her nearness to him, and still more by her remoteness. Allured and baffled, often in the early morning or late evening, he would sit in the doorway of his cabin, or out on his rock with his flute, when his thoughts were full of her. Simple, maidenly, and strong, his heart yearned toward her, while instinctively she held herself aloof in quiet dignity. Never had she presented herself at his door unless impelled by necessity. Never had she sat with him in his cabin since that first time when she came for him so heavy-hearted for frail. Only when she knew him to be absent had she gone to his cabin and set all its disorder to rights. Then he would return to find it swept and cleaned, and sweet with wild flowers and pine greenery and vines, his cooking utensils washed and scoured, the floor whitened with scrubbing, in his larder newly baked cornbread and white beaten biscuits, his honey jar refilled, and fresh butter pats in the spring, sometimes a brown earthen jug of cool refreshing buttermilk stood on his table but always his thanks would be swept aside with the words mother sent me up to see could i do anything for you 
you are always that kind and we can't do much and you never come up when i am at home it isn't every time i can get to go up i'm that busy here most days only the days when i am absent can you get to go up he would say teasingly don't i ever deserve a visit cass don't get time for visiting these days since frale left she have all his work and hern too on her and mine too only the little help she gets out in hoyle and it ain't much said the mother doctor don't you guess i can get up and try walking a little if you will promise me you will only try it when i am here to help you i will take off the weight and we'll see what you can do today cassandra loved to watch david attend on her mother so tender was he and he adopted a playful manner that always dispelled her pessimism and left her smiling and talkative ere he was aware also he made a place for himself in cassandra's heart when he became interested in the case of her little brother and attempted gradually to overcome his deformity every morning when the child climbed to his airy and brought his supply of milk david took him in and gently out of his knowledge and skill gave him systematic care and taught him how to help himself but he soon saw that a more strenuous course would be the only way to bring permanent relief or surely the trouble would increase what did dr hoyle say about it he asked one day he weren't that away when doctor were here last it were nigh on five year ago that come on him he had fever and a right smart of times when we thought he was a getting better he just went back until he began to kind of draw sideways this away and he ain't never been straight since and he's been that sickly too when doctor saw him last he were nigh three year old and straight as they can make em and fat you couldn't see a bone in him david pondered a moment suppose you give him to me a while he said let him live with me in my cabin eat there sleep there everything and we'll see what can be done for him i'm willing more'n willing when only i can get to help cast some hoyle oh, he's a heap of help with me not able to do a lick he can milk nigh well as she can and tote in water and feed the chickens and the pig and and ride into the mill for meal yes he's a heap of help pass she got to get on with the weaving we promised bedkivers and such for miss mayhew she sells em for ladies that comes to the hotel in summer we never would have a cent of money in hand these days without that only what chickens and eggs she can raise for the hotel too it's only in summer i don't rightly see how we can spare hoyle where's miss cassandra now he asked only more determined on his course the more he was hampered by circumstances she's in the loom shed weaving i throwed on the warp for a blue and white bed cover for our hurt and she hain't had time to more than half finish it i were helping to get the weaving done while she were at school this winter and come spring she were allowing to come back and help frail with the plantin' and making crap for next year here in the mountains we ain't have to be forehanded and here i be and can't crawl scarcely yet after the thrifty soul had taken a few steps instead of realizing her good fortune in being able to take any she was bitterly disappointed to find that weeks must still pass ere she could walk by herself she was seated on her little porch where david had helped her 
looking out on the growing things and the blossoming spring all about, a sight to make the heart glad. But she saw only that the time was passing, and it would soon be too late to make a crop that year. She was such a neat, self-respecting old woman as she sat there. Her work-worn old hands were not idle, for she turned and mended Hoyle's funny little trousers, homemade, with suspenders attached. I don't know what all we can do if we can't make crap. We won't have no corn nor nothing, and nothing to feed stock, let alone we uns. We'll be in a fix just like all the poor white trash, me not able to do a lick. David came and sat beside her a few moments, and said a great many comforting things, and when he rose to go, the world had taken on a new aspect to her eyes, bright, dark eyes, looking up at him with a gleam of hope. I believe you, she said. We'll do anything you say, doctor. Thring walked out past the loom shed and paused to look in on the young girl as she sat swaying rhythmically, throwing the shuttles with a sweep of her arm and drawing the great beam toward her with steady beat, driving the threads in place and shifting the veil of warp stretched before her with a sure touch of her feet upon the treadles, all her lithe body intent and attune. It seemed to him, as he sat himself on the step to watch, that music must come from the flow of her action. The noise of the loom prevented her hearing his approach, and silently he watched and waited, fascinated in seeing the fabric grow under her hand. As silently she worked on, and slowly, even as the pattern took shape and came plain before her, his thoughts grew and took definite shape also, until he became filled with a set purpose. He would not disturb her now, nor make her look around. It was just enough to watch her in her sweet, serious unconsciousness, with the flash of exercise on her cheeks, as he could see when she slightly turned her head with every throw of the shuttle. When at last she rose, he saw a look of care and weariness on her face that disturbed him. He sprang up and came to her. She little dreamed how long he had been there. Please don't go. Stay here and talk to me a moment. Your mother's all right. I've just been with her. May I examine what you've been doing? It's very interesting to me, you know. He made her show him all the manner of her work, and drew her on to tell him of the different patterns her mother had learned from her grandmother and had taught her. They don't do much on the hand looms now in the mountains, but Miss Mayhew at the hotel last summer, I told you about her, sold some of mother's work up north, and I promised more. But I'm afraid... I don't guess I can get it all done now. You're tired. Sit here on the step a while with me and rest. I want to talk to you a little, and I want you alone. She looked hesitatingly toward the declining sun. He took her hand and led her to the door. Can't you give me a few, a very few moments? You hold me off and won't let me say what I often have in mind to ask you. She sat beside him where he placed her, and looked wonderingly into his face, but not in the least as if she feared what his question might be, or as if she suspected anything personal. You know it's not right that this sort of thing should go on indefinitely. I don't know what sort of thing you mean. She lifted grave, wide eyes to his, those clear gray eyes, 
and his heart admonished him that he had begun to love to look into their blue and green depths but heed the admonishment he would not i mean working day in and day out as you do you have grown much thinner since i saw you first and look at your hands he took one of them in his and gently stroked it see how thin they are and here are callous places and you are stooping over with weariness and except when you have been exercising your face is far too white she looked off toward the mountaintop and slowly drew her hand from his i must do it there's no one else she said in a low voice but it can't go on always this way i reckon so once i thought it might be some different but now she waited an instant in silence but now what it seems as if it must go on like this way always as if i were chained here with iron but why won't you tell me so i can help you i can't she said sadly and with finality it must be he brooded a moment clasping his hands about one knee and gazing at her maybe he said at last maybe i can help you even if you can't tell me what is holding you she smiled a faintly fleeting smile thank you but i reckon not miss cassandra when you know i am at your service and will do anything you ask me why do you hold something back from me i can understand and i may have ways it's just that sir even if i could tell you i don't guess you could understand even if i went yonder in the mountain and cried to heaven to set me free i'd have to bide here and do the work that is mine to do as mother has done hers and her mother before her but they did it contentedly and happily because they wished it your mother married your father because she loved him and was glad yes i reckon she did but he was different she could do it for him he lived alone alone mother knew he did she could understand it was like he had a room to himself high up on the mountain where she could never climb nor open the door david leaned toward her what do you see when you look off at the mountains like that it's like i could see him he would take his little books up there and walk the high path i never have showed you his path it was his and he would walk in it up and down up and down and read words i couldn't understand reading like he was singing sometimes i would climb up to him and he'd take me in his arms and carry me like i was a baby and read sometimes he would sit on a bank of moss under those trees see there near the top by that open spot of sky a right dark place there are no other trees like them they are his trees he would sit with me there and tell me the stories of the strange words but we never told mother for she said they were heathen and i mustn't give heed to him when deeply absorbed she often lapsed into her old speech david liked it he almost wished she would never change it for his after father died i hunted and hunted for those little books but i never could find them you remember him so well won't you tell me how he looked 
she slowly brought her eyes down from the mountain top and fixed them on his face. Sometimes, just for a minute, you make me think of him, but you don't look like him. I never heard anyone laugh like he could laugh, with his eyes, too. He was tall like you, and he carried his shoulders high like you do when you hurry, but he was a dark man. When he stood there in the door of the loom shed, his head touched the top. I thought of it when you stood here a bit ago and had to stoop. He always did that. She lifted her gaze again to the mountain and was silent. Tell me a little more, just a little. Don't you remember anything he said? He used to preach, but I was too little to remember what he said. They used to have preaching in the schoolhouse, and in winter he used to teach there when he could get the children to come. They had no books, but he marked with charcoal where they could all see and show them writing in figures. But somehow they got the idea he didn't know religion right, and they wouldn't go to hear him any more. Mother says it nigh broke his heart, for he fell to ailing and grew that thin and white he couldn't climb to his path any more. She stopped and put her hand to her throat as her way was. She too had grown white with the ache of sorrowful remembrance. He thought it cruel to urge her, but felt impelled to ask for more. And then? Yes. One day we were all alone sitting right here in the loom shed door. He put one hand on my head, and then he put the other hand under my chin and turned my face to look in his eyes, so great and far, like they could see through your heart. Seems like I can feel the touch of his hand here yet and hear him say, Little daughter, never be like the rest. Be separate, and God will send for you some day here on the mountain. He will send for you on the mountain top. He will compass you about and lift you up, and you shall be blessed. Then he kissed me and went to the house. I could hear him still saying it as he walked. On the mountain top, one will come for you. On the mountain top. He went in and lay down, and, and I sat here and waited. It seemed like my heart stood still waiting for him to come back to me, and it must have been more than an hour I sat. And mother came home and went in and found him gone. He never spoke again. He lay there dead. She paused and drew in a long, sighing breath. I have never said those words aloud till now, to you, but hundreds of times when I look up on the mountain, I have said them in my heart. I reckon he meant I was to bide here till my time was come, and do all like I ought to do it. I did think I could go to school and learn, and come back and teach like he used to, and so keep myself separate like he did. But the Lord called me back, and laid a hard thing on me, and I must do it. But in my heart I can keep separate like Father did. She rose and stood calmly, her eyes fixed on the mountain. David stood near and longed to touch her passive hand, to lift it to his lips, but forbore to startle her soul by so unusual an act. For all she had given him, a confidence she had never bestowed on another, he felt himself held aloof, her spirit withdrawn from him and lifted to the mountaintop. End of chapter 11